Hello and welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I'm your host Steve Smith and due to technical difficulties, i.e. me being as crook as a mongrel dog, I haven't got this out on Thursday so I do apologise for the delay but I will say that I have a real treat for you. This is another segment of Australian Turf Analysis Keeper of the Greens. This is episode number 44. Now, before we get into Keeper of the Greens, I have a message from my partners. Keeper of the Greens is brought to you by Australian Turf Analysis. As a greenkeeper, as a golf course superintendent, have you ever wanted the ability to see into the future of your turf's health and easily share it with stakeholders and team members? I know it would have made my life so much easier when I was super, that's for sure. Australian Turf Analysis has state-of-the-art drone technology that can see into your turf's future health with a flight over your course to show you just what is happening before it's visible to the trained eye of a greenkeeper. Now, you're probably wondering how they can show you the health of your turf. Well, their drone has a multi-spectral lens attached to it along with super-intelligent software that measures and calculates turf stress and correlates the data for you in an easy-to-read graphic map along with other formats available. When we think new technology, we often think many dollar signs. I know that's the first, probably the first thing that bounces into your head, but I can assure you that once you get a quote from John to survey your course, you will be searching for reasons why you shouldn't use this technology to help you maintain your golf course. It really is that affordable, guys. John Legg at Australian Turf Analysis is your certified and fully insured drone pilot to make sure all those paperwork bases are covered so you don't have to worry no matter where you are in Australia. Now for the good part, for every one of you greenkeepers and superintendents that are listening, for any new first-time customers, Australian Turf Analysis are offering a 10% discount on your first service if you mention this podcast, the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast, where you heard it. Head over now to AustralianTurfAnalysis.com to get in touch with John for a quote. And trust me, you want to go and do it, certainly leading into summer. Ladies and gentlemen, we come that time once again that I'm hopefully you're so familiar with is the keeper of the green segment of the podcast. And I'm so excited. I'm actually, I'm in Queensland myself at the moment and uh, made the journey up north, but I thought it's uh, time we venture back into the Sunshine State and we're going to go up into the Sunshine Coast. We're going to Noosa Golf Club where I've got on the line, Superintendent Mick Pascoe. Welcome Mick to the Golf and Greenkeeper podcast. Hi Steve, thanks for having me mate. Mate, I am really excited to have you on to this one. I think we're going to get some good insight into your golf course there, where you are now at Noosa, and certainly your background. I'm really intrigued about this and points in there that I want to discover more about and, and explore, and, and we can have the listeners come along with us on the journey. So this is going to be a bit of fun, mate. And we'll start with the Super 7 questions, a bit of quick, short answer fun. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah, ready to go. Let's go. Oh, mate, let's go with it. So we'll start off. Number one, sunrise or sunset? Oh, I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. I like both. Oh, but what does that mean? Midday or are we going both? <laughs> um, if I had to be partial, I'd say sunset. Uh, oh, I, okay. I, I, I love it when people go something different to the norm. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to dive into it. Is there something about that in a past memory or a place that you've worked potentially? Where does sunset come from? Um, I just think um, you just get the different, you, you get the colors in the morning, but you also get a different perspective and it, it just seems like a different light in the afternoon. 
And right. sometimes you, I've just over the years, you go back and you drive around looking at the course, and you just think, you know, what a what a great time of day. You've you've looked back on the day that you've had, um, whether it be good or bad, and and you and make the most of that situation there, and just say, you know what, done a pretty good job today, and uh, bring on tomorrow. A good way to close out a day. Mate, I, I like to hear something different, and it's meant to be short responses, but sometimes I've got to dive into it. So, yeah, all right, no let's, let's go to number two. Course appearance questions, stripes or no stripes on fairways? Stripes. Stripes. Okay, we move to number three. A, a bit more of a preferred look, lean or lush? Um, I'm going to say lush. Okay. All right, and I think that's uh, you, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, no doubt, as we we get dive into your story. Number four, favourite green surface in terms of turf variety, uh, bent grass, cooch grass, or something else. And with your experience, there may be, but I want you to explain it if it is something else. Ultimately, I'd say bent grass. Um, okay. I know there's supposed to be short answers, but I started my career on bent grass on the Gold Coast, the Rundle Hills. And I actually didn't touch cooch until I'm going to say seven years later in my career. So, okay. So okay. Bent grass for me, but in as we'll delve later on, um, I have I'm looking towards the new zoysias that are fantastic. Um, okay. Well, yeah. well let, let's keep let's keep that one quiet for the minute. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get into that because there's a lot to explore. <laughs> there's a lot to explore about that one. But I, I'm going to throw you in the bent category here on number four. Yeah. We move on to number five. Now, where do you prefer to maintain a golf course? Warm climate or cool climate? Absolutely warm climate. Nice. Very nice. It's certainly an enjoyable part of the part of the world when you get to looking after a golf course in a beautiful warm weather year round. Now, favourite bunker style. This one I love to hear, and it is three options, so I'll get you to pick one. So what have we got? Favourite bunker style for you, mate? Is it St Andrews, Kingston Heath, or Augusta National? Kingston Heath. Oh, very nice. Very nice indeed. Mm. And the final one, if you could if you could visit one golf course anywhere on the planet tomorrow, which one would it be for you? I'd have to say, I've thought about this one long and hard. I'd have to say, though, Augusta. Um, yeah, I think just for everything that's that's there, um, especially at tournament time, I think just to, to visit that whole experience, I think would be something that you'd, you'd, you'd not forget. Yep. No, I think uh, a lot of people certainly agree on that. And there's a lot more behind the scenes and below the surface and things that, that uh, as we look at the golf course on television and all those sorts of things we hear and think about, there's so much behind it that I think you would you would be able to sort of just wow every time you ask a question. I think. So I think that's why... I think that's why a lot of people say Augusta because when you're in the greenkeeping industry, you you know that there are other things out there that we just, we've, you know, they're, they're mind-blowing. But uh, I, th- I, I think that's why we do hear a lot of people suggest that Augusta is their pick, mate. Well, look, thank you for that. That's a great little quick seven questions. Now we're going to dive into the long form of the podcast here. and We're going <laughs> to get a lot of your background and we're going to hear some of your stories and we're also going to dive into Noosa as well, which is where you are today, mate. But let's start at the beginning for you, Mick. Let's talk about how you got into greenkeeping. Where was, say, the first place that you got to walk into a shed? Where did you get your first taste at greenkeeping, mate? How did that happen? Uh, it was actually, uh, I'd say I was probably about 14, 13, 14, and I was playing golf with my brother and my father at Bribey Island Golf Club. We are up on holidays, and there was a guy mowing. Oh, that, that's the original the original, yep. And there was That's a guy. The original course, yeah. 
there was a guy mowing fairways and I thought that that looks like a pretty good job. So I walked up to him and I asked him, I said, what, what time do you start? He said, oh, six o'clock. And I said, oh, that's cool. I said, what time do you finish? And he said, oh, two. And I thought, this is great. You know, you could, you know, <laughs> you could go fishing, you play footy, cricket, everything in the afternoon. You've got the whole afternoon to do whatever you want to do. That's, that sounds great. So I, um, I did work experience at Surface Paradise Golf Club when I was 15, year 10. Um, I like that. Then in year 11, I, both my parents are school teachers um, and I'm the youngest of three. And so I thought, you know, my sister went through grade 12. My brother left in 10, year 10 was a spark, is a sparky. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm sick of school. So I left to be a carpenter joiner in a workshop that did shop fitting um, for, you know, all the shops in, um, in, in shopping malls. And they yep. fit, out the, fit out those shops. And I lasted three days, Steve, and I just went, I do not want to be stuck in a factory. Um, I want to be outdoors. So I went back and um, went back to school and mum drove me around. Uh, mum drove me around all over the place from Tweed Heads all the way up to at the time Gainsborough Green was the furthest north, um, being from the Gold Coast. And yep. um, yeah, the rest, um, the rest is history. It'd probably lead me into the next question, probably. Well, and, and that's, you know, that that's, we will do that now. That's an interesting start. And we, we do sometimes hear, I've spoken to some people that didn't start their first job out of school was not even outside. It wasn't, a, like you said, if it was something to do inside or whatever, and then you just very quickly decide, um, as has happened in a few of the conversations I've had with other superintendents on this segment, is it's like, no, nah, it's not for me. Or something else tripped mm. up and it didn't work out for them and then they've gone into the, the golf side of things and, and got the start. So that's it's really interesting that you, even though you got that early on up at Bribey, Yep. You've come back and gone into something and it wasn't just wasn't going to work. I'm a bit like you, mate. I go stir crazy if I'm inside. Just <laughs> forget it. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. It's not my – and my, fam, my family are in retail. So, I'm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, um, mate, okay, let's let's move from that those early days. Then where did you work as your career started moving forward? Where did you do your time as an apprentice? And let's go from there. Well, uh, mum drove me around everywhere. Um, she was great, and I, I handed my resume in, as I said, from Tweed Heads all the way up to uh, up to Gainsborough Greens. And uh, the last place at the time that we drove into was close to home was Arundel Hills. Now, Arundel Hills had probably just been you know, a couple of years out of being freshly built. Kerry Packer had come in and landed his helicopter and you know <laughs> bought the whole bought the whole pro shop out of uh, Ballardas back then, nineties, I think. <laughs> and um, hit them all, hit them all down the driving range. And they said, "Well, at the first, they said, so you can't join it.' You know, he said, unless you're a member. I think the story goes, he bought four memberships. Then I think it was about twenty grand. Just paid for it right there, and then bought the pro shop out of Ballardas, and then hit them down there as one hit wonders, and then played the course and never came back. But and um, said that was it. It wasn't worth it. I think uh, I think a few people have heard that story, and it's a very befitting Kerry Packer story. No absolutely, less. absolutely. So I was very lucky. Um, it was right before the end of my final year in grade twelve, and at the time I went in to meet the superintendent, which is um, Robert McDonald, and he said, "Look, you're, you're lucky day, mate. Um, our my assistant at the time has had had an accident, and uh, we need someone and." We're looking to take on an apprentice, so do you want to do that? And said, yeah. 
So that worked out. Wow. Really well. That worked out really well. Um, it was close to home, and I just thought it was fantastic. You know, I just, I was kind of pinching myself. How good is this? I've just come out of school, and I'm working on a sporting field. You know, I've played cricket and footy all my life, and golf, and and you know, typical young Australian fella just playing sport all the time. And I thought, how good is this? Um, well, well, and you talk about Arundel as, as your first place of full-time work on golf course. I mean, uh, you talked about Kerry Packer flying in. The course wasn't long open. I've played Arundel, and I love the bones of Arundel. It, it's a, yeah. it's probably condition and quality-wise, and I'm not talking it down. It's probably not close to what it was in those days, and, and not every course is able to do that. But I've got to tell you, it's a fantastic layout to play. It's really entertaining it's- and, and challenging. It is. It's it was a it's a cracking layout. Um, and back in those days, um, the greens were uh, the, all the greens were ten nineteen bent grass, and the putting green was ten twenty bent grass. So wow. So that, that would have that would have been what the was that the only course then with bent around this part of the the um, the southeast Queensland. I think Saintry Cove at that time the pines um, okay had bent grass. I'm just trying to think who else had that. I'm not too sure. I don't know, but it must have been surely one of. I know the Glades is the only one here now that has it, so yeah. I dare say that that probably would have been one. But that's very interesting and certainly challenging, no doubt. You would have seen a lot of challenge in that doing your oh, time. It, it was. It was fantastic. I mean, you'd you'd love winter and you'd dread summer because you'd be out there on the. Oh, I was pretty cool though. You're out there on the four wheel drive, four wheel bikes, whipping around and, and cooling off um, greens, syringing greens with, with hoses, which was good. So we enjoyed that. We had a good little team there. I think we had about 15 guys. Wow. Um, at that time, yeah, that was back. So I did my apprenticeship ninety end of 94 to 98 um, and did my um, tertiary education on block release at Groverly TAFE up there in North Brisbane. Okay. And that was, that was quite good. Um, enjoyed that. I was actually lucky enough to... Uh, be released from my apprenticeship six months early. Um, And in that time, we had uh, quite a few different superintendents. Robert uh, McDonald, he went across to Lake Carringup when that was getting built. Wow. Um, And then David Warwick. Dave Warwick was a superintendent then. Oh, okay. There you go. I did a majority of my um, apprenticeship under Dave and we've become great friends we always have been friends but um we run into each other at conferences and i I just saw him at the last conference i hadn't seen dave in 10 15 years and he was telling me stories that i couldn't remember for me being cheeky (laughs) when i was an apprentice so it's always it was always good to it's always good to catch up with dave and then yeah we had a couple of more superintendents go through and i was lucky enough to be asked to be superintendent at 21 um, really at at 21 years old Mm. at arundel one of the mm. premier courses at the time on the Gold Coast. Yeah, that's and, a um, big deal. And and at, at twenty one, it was it was really good. Um, and I I just thought, mate, I've just I've really fallen on my feet here, and I really enjoyed it. And then six months into that, Steve, the um, Asian stock market crashed. Ah, ninety nine. Yeah, and that the company then was owned by Japanese. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, the company wanted to go in a different direction and, and bring in contractors. And right. we we all got together as a as a group and just said, "Look, guys, what do you want to do?" And um, you know, I think we we're getting going to get less pay, and and um, and we just didn't know; it was just uncertain. And the guy, we just came together and just said, "All right, let's um, 
let's go our separate ways. One of the guys stayed, stayed on. He, I think his wife had just had their second baby. So he, he said, look, I've got nowhere else to go. I've got to put bread on the table. And um, so anyway, before, when we left, or when we all decided to leave, I remember going back to the office and I saw Mike O'Keefe's business card on my desk um, from the Ohio State University. Oh, yeah. And I gave Mike a call. And he's and I, I said, oh, look, you came down um, and had a visit when I was at college. For some reason, your cards seemed to be on my desk. And um, what's what's the go? You know, what's what what? How do I get to the states? So at that time, he said, look, you know, after a bit of a discussion, he said, well, where would you like to go? And Payne Stewart had just won the U.S. Open at um, Pinehurst. Yeah. And I thought, well, I just jokingly sort of thing. I said, oh, Pinehurst. <laughs> um, Lo and behold, three weeks later or four weeks later, I was there. You're joking. And that for anyone listening and they don't know, that's the that's a I won't I don't know if it's an exchange is the right word, but that's a program where Australian um, green keepers when they're young can get a chance to go over and experience a, some of the high profile courses. And is do you move around, you get a placement and you you sort of get some experience under your belt? Is that sort yeah. of the the idea behind it? You, you you can, Steve, yeah. I mean, um some guys uh, some guys like to do six months here, six months there, but depending on what's available and um, depending on what courses they want to go to or what experience they want to get. Yep. Um, and we were over there. Um, I got over there. There was eight golf courses at the time at Pinehurst. And it's like a bit of a joke. I think there was four Aussies, uh, three English guys and an Irish guy. So um, we all <laughs> that, is the, that is the beginnings of a really good cool one. Yeah, no, it was, and uh, we had, um, you know, we had great times there. And there was eight, as I said, eight golf courses, and we were all split up on different golf courses. So we lived in dormitories, and um, you know, we worked certainly hard, and we we played probably a little bit too hard. But um, <laughs> just a, just a fantastic time there. That, um, that uh, I'll just jump in a little bit, mate, because I, I'm thinking about you know, you, you like you said, you're 21, you get the score of the job as a super on a, a high profile premier golf course on the Gold Coast. The world changes in a heartbeat financially, and all the there was a lot of the Gold Coast landscape that was connected to Japan with yeah. ownership, different ownership. You talk about Palmettos. I mean, there's a stack of them we can talk about that were built on money from that Asian region. And that just, the, the bottom end fell out. All of a sudden, you, the next thing you know, you're looking for work and you, your whole career path has probably gone backside up and yep. you're over, now you land on, on your feet at, at Pinehurst. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it was a tough one. I mean, I'd, I'd been overseas with mum and dad once for the Hong Kong mum and dad won a trip and they said, do you want to come? And I thought, well, I can always buy a car or something else later or spend the money on traveling. So that's what we did. We went to Hong Kong and had a great holiday. And then I, I, besides that, I haven't, you know, been overseas and look for the first six months, I'm not going to lie. It was, I hated it. I really did. I thought, no, this is going to be tough. And I, and I just remember talking to mum and friends and they're saying, yeah, just stick it out. If you can get past six months, you'll be fine. And if not, just come home. So, yeah. and, 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 in, and in that, we, we were all over there as interns. So I'd come as being a superintendent. I've gone back to being, you know, changing holes, raking bunkers, going back onto the crew. Um, yeah. So that was a step back. But it was something that the experience that you had, you know, it just it was a, it was a fantastic grounding. Um, 
and sure. basically a reset and then go back and start things fresh again and opened your eyes to a lot of things as well. I mean, do you, do you think that might have, in a, in a funny way, did, do you think getting that grounding again from reaching those heights so early in your career, do you think that helped your career along with the experience overseas? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because uh, you know, I, I know that I was a, a became a superintendent at the age of twenty four. I know some other guys that that had done so at an early age, probably not quite as early as you, twenty one. That's that's incredible. But um, you know, it can be a, a perfect sort of you know get back to level. Let's experience it, and you then I suppose in a sense you do realize you go shit. I've got so much more to learn here. Look at all this new stuff. This oh. is this is different, and I'm seeing so many more things and learning from other people that you know are doing things slightly different, or you're experiencing totally new stuff. And that and that's the thing. I mean, with with Robert uh, McDonald and, and Dave Warwick and the other supers, I mean, I had he has a pretty good pedigree that I, that I was very very fortunate to 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 have in my apprenticeship. I mean, I look back at that, and um, I'm so thankful for that. And it got off to a good start, and then going overseas and going getting back to ground, and you think, you know what, I've I've know a fair bit, and you get overseas and how they do things different. That's the whole reason why you do go overseas is to push yourself out of those limits. And you know, America's the the be all. The, at that time, you think, oh, that's the be all and end all of our industry. And, yeah. And, and sometimes it's like everything; the grass is not always greener on the other side. Um, you learn things over there, and. And you think, oh, well, we do it better back in Australia, but there's a lot of other things that they do so much better over there. And you think, you know, we're a little bit behind in Australia, but then this, I'm talking 20 years ago. So, yeah, you sure. know, we were we were behind in a few things, where, you know, and I think now we're pretty well balanced out. But, yep. um, yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a good grounding going back there. Um, so I was, I was 18 months in Pinehurst. I worked on course three and five and then went across to, course four and Fazio had just redesigned four um, wow. and, and and since then it's been redesigned again um, wow. I, okay. think Corin, I think Cor and Crenshaw have done it um, that would have been chalk and cheese I imagine right. I think that um, would have been chalk and cheese if it was from Fazio to Cor and Crenshaw too just quietly yeah no I mean I still remember and then I I remember with four um, I ended up being foreman there, so I was third in charge there, which was great, a great experience there. And then after that, I said, you know, my peas had run out, and I said to Mike, look, I need to go. I'd like to do a big tournament. And he said, how about England? And go across for the Ryder Cup at the Belfry. Um, oh, wow. In 2001, I said, sign me up, I'm there. And he got <laughs> me onto uh, the Forest of Arden with Kenny Mackay uh, as a superintendent there. And Ewan Grant was his assistant, and Ewan's up now. Was at well, was at St Andrews for a while. Kenny now was Kenny's at Wentworth. Um, he was the president of Bigger. So wow, I've yeah been very lucky in my career to, to be underneath these guys. And um, I went uh, was there at Forest of Arden for we did the English Open. Um, Peter O'Malley won that. That was in two thousand and one, I think. Um, Oh, 2002, actually, and we ended up. Um, I ended up there, and also went down and played cricket uh, with a good mate of mine um, down in Bristol. So I actually bought a car, bought a car there, and I drove <laughs> it down to play cricket. And I, at the end of the game, I went to you know hop in the car and drive back, and someone had stolen my car. I'd only had oh. it. I'd only had it two or three days, so I had to catch the <laughs> catch the train back. So just some funny stories you think about. Um, <laughs> that was quite funny. So yeah, went. 
and said to the then I still remember cutting the first fairway on the Aylesford course. There was thirty six holes there at the Arden, and I remember when nine eleven happened, and um, yeah, so you know we got fitted up for uniforms and everything there at the Belfry, and then that got cancelled. Um, oh wow! The Cup got cancelled. So you know, selfishly for me, I was like, oh, a bit bummed out, just being very selfish there. But um, look, that led to me ringing Mike again and saying to Mike, look, I'm, I don't want to um, be in this cold weather because at that time it started to change and be quite miserable in England. And um, he said, well, I, I said, I'd like to go somewhere warm. And he said, well, I've got Barbados for you. Um, <laughs> Mate, look, look, you, you got a, you could, you got a pin board of the map of the world, yeah. and all of a sudden you're putting these dots on all. And yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking back to your time at the Gold Coast, yep. reaching the high. And I keep going back to the heights of Superintendent and Arundel Hills, and now all of a sudden you're in the States, the UK. We're off to Barbados. You're doing tournaments, and mate, this is an incredible journey. What a, what a journey so far. It's How old were you when you got to these points in Barbados? Let's see. Barbados, uh, 18 to 20, 24. I got there when I was 24, 25. Wow. That, you must have been absolutely pinching yourself, but taking, you, your eyes would have been as big as dinner plates taking all this information in, really. Oh, it, it, it was. I, I, you know, I was surprised I wasn't black and blue from pinching myself. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, I, 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 in the meantime, Steve, I'm, I'm ticking off, you know, I've seen the ashes in England, saw Pat Rafter at Wimbledon final. Um, Come on. You know, ticking off all these things along the way. And, um, I, I've seen them too, but I've seen it on the TV. <laughs> You've seen them in person. <laughs> so it was, it was really good. Um, and then when, when Barbados came along, I, we went across with a mate. Um, I met a mate at the, at the airport, actually, Nigel Taylor. Um, and we'd been together in Pinehurst. And to go back a little bit, he did his apprenticeship at Sanctuary Cove, which you know is about three kilometres down the road. Yeah, right. And, and we had known each other until we got to Pinehurst. And then all of a sudden, Mike's put us together on a plane to go to Barbados to duel it out for an assistant superintendent's job. Oh, get out. So that was fun. That was three months there. And um, Nigel said, oh, this is not really for me. And I said, well, it is for me. There was another guy from England there as well. And um, he, he, got, he went home early. Um, and then so Nigel and I, and then Nigel said, look, I'm going. And um, I stayed on, become assistant. And that lasted probably I was an assistant. And at the time, they didn't have a visa uh, approval for or... There was no visa, a work permit for an assistant superintendent. Oh. So the club, I worked at a place called uh, Royal Westmoreland and Trent Jones Design, and, okay. and it's right below Sandy Lane, the famous Sandy Lane. And wow. Private, private resort, very exclusive. I mean, you have Ian Woosnam's there, um, you know, since then, Wayne Rooney, Michael Vaughan, um, all those, all the quite a few celebrities are there. Wow. Um, but at the time, they didn't have a work permit and they said, oh, look, you're going to have to go away. We're going to pay you. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to go for three months, but you're going to have to do some kind of education. And, okay. and I said, it could be anywhere. And they said, it can be anywhere. And I said, well, at the time, it was coming into college football season for Ohio State. And um, I just said, oh, look, I'm going to Ohio State then. And I rang up Mike and he said, yeah, we'll sort out a... <laughs> 
uh, a certificate for you in inverted commas. So I think I think <laughs> I had seven ridiculous. hours a week of lessons, Steve. And uh, oh was, my goodness! And the rest and the rest was was really good. I mean, just had such a great time there. Went back um, in December. They had that visa sorted out for me. Um, <laughs> Jim Brennan was a superintendent then. Jim was there for about a year, and then they handed me the reins. I think I was twenty six. Superintendent at twenty six. Wow. Again, again, the superintendent at a young age and you're in the West Indies, you know, holiday destination plus. Absolutely. I mean, and, and celebrity, a celebrity haven, obviously. You talked about a few things. I mean, I, as soon as anyone says Barbados, I think of the Windies, I think of the cricket, you know. did you, Were yeah. those sorts of people hanging, do they frequent an area of where you're working? Well, I, I think um, when I was superintendent, um, or it might have been when I first got there, a bit cloudy, I remember the, the director of golf, who was the GM as well, he said, you better go down to the end of the driving range. There's a gentleman there that would like to talk to you. Okay. Um, I think it was actually, there was a period after when Nigel had left and I was caretaking the course until Jim came. I think that's what it was. And I went down to the end of the driving range and um, it was Desmond Haynes. <laughs> what did to speak to you? He did. He said, are you the new superintendent? And I said, well, I'm acting. <laughs> And I said, what? he said, what's your name? And I said, Michael Pascoe. And he said, hang on a sec. Not, you're not related to that madman Lenny Pascoe, are you? He tried to take my head off. And I, and I said, no, sir. No, I'm not. And he said, do you play cricket? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said, right, we'll get your butt down to Carlton Cricket Club this afternoon. There's the address. Um, let's see what you got. What? And, and so, yeah. So I, was, I drive down. to I found I find um, Carlton Cricket Club. And it was a... Back in the day, it was a predominantly white um, cricket club, and I get down there, and I'm the only white fella there. <laughs> so I, and he, he told me to ask a guy who is, who's Kirk Williams, and he actually ended up playing for the West Indies. He was, he was younger then, and I went up to Kirk, and I said, hey, mate, can I – Desi sent me down and um, said, I can use your bat and your, your pads, and he sort of – I won't say what he said, but he just told me to go and sit back down. And um, – <laughs> Oh yeah, no worries. And then so Desi, Desi came around and he tore strips off him. And you know, next thing you know, I'm wearing Kirk's pads and uh, and, and oh. I've got his bat, and I'm out in the middle. And um, you're kidding? Yeah, played four four years of cricket in Barbados. Oh yeah. my goodness! Had a couple of games with Desi. Um, my nickname back then uh, was Booney. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the tallest. I'm probably about five six, and I'm you know a bit pretty stocky, and I didn't mind a beer. I don't mind a beer, and so my nickname was Booney. So it would be quite funny. Uh, oh wow, what a story! Yeah, it was. It was what? quite funny, Steve, because my brother had came across um, and visited, and you know we're you know, the Australian cricket team, and you know you meet them at the at the High Commission, and you're an expat, so you have a lot of you know, a lot of privileges. Where you know, you're Australian abroad, so you can go to the High Commission. You meet the Australian cricket team, and you know we Merv Hughes and Colin Miller at the time came back and played golf with us, me and my brother. And um, get out of town. Yeah, no, it was it was unreal. I remember, you know, we're at this sort of that at the club, and it's quite posh. And then here's Merv ordering jugs of beer, you know. So. <laughs> And no you got funky, just jugs, <laughs> and you got Funky Miller there as well. I mean, oh, mate! So yeah, it was really good. Um, 
And, you know, even, you know, draw walking down to one of the test matches and there's Desi driving past. Hey, Booney, why are you walking? Hop in. And my brother's you know, jaw <laughs> dropped. So it was quite good for Joel. He, they, they accepted Joel and uh, my brother. And, uh, yeah, they yeah, he went down and he played for a couple of weeks. He was in the nets and they were pretty impressed with him as well. So, and you just, yeah, I, like you said before, you're in the West Indies and you pinch yourself. And I, just, I remember just looking at my brother just over a beer going, can you, can you, can you believe we're doing this right now? And that just, you know, you talk about it as little kids, you know, growing up, and then you, you're actually living it. That's um, quite amazing, mate. What a what an incredible story. What a period there in in Barbados. Yeah, so I think in that was Barbados was great. So that got to about two thousand and five to the end of two thousand and five, towards September two thousand and five. I was looking for different jobs. There was a new ownership in and, um, you know, I was three three years, three, four years there, just under four years there and thought, let me try and go somewhere else. I uh, went for an interview over at, um, in the Dominican Republic and uh, had a hurricane come through and that kind of wiped that chance out and a few other things. And I basically said, rang mum. I hadn't been home in, to Australia for six years. Yeah, and right. I thought, oh, well, this is it. And I rang mum and said, oh, look, I'm coming home and, you know, she said, well, you've had a good, you know, you've had a good trot, you know, come home. And about four days from coming home, I got a email, uh, a call, sorry, from um, a number in Jamaica and answered the phone and it was the GM at the trial club. And <laughs> and Ted said, oh, well, you know, I've, I've seen your resume, I've seen your name, you basically got the job, can you come up for an interview? <laughs> you hadn't even spoken to them. I hadn't even spoken to them. And I, I said, mate... Um, I fly to Australia in like three days. He said, well, you better get your butt on a plane tomorrow and get, get up here. So I did. And um, <laughs> I got there and I, and I, and this, and the trial club, um, I don't know if you remember, but it was, it's the one where it has a water wheel on the 18th hole, which is actually the seventh, but the way they played it for the Johnny Walker championship. And that was the end of year tournament that the PGA had. And that was just for wow. showing up back then. In the late 90s, you got $30,000. It was just before, yeah, Tiger, right. just before Tiger came on the scene. So you know, yep. Greg Norman, Steve Elkington, Nick Faldo, um, Ernie Els, uh, Freddie Couples, all that, John Daly, they're all in their prime. Um, yeah, right. So I remember going to that course and um, I thought, oh, wow, I remember seeing this on the TV. I'm like, wow, I'm actually here. How, this is bizarre. <laughs> and I remember going to the... Ted and Ted said, Oh, look, who's the GM? He said, Look, drive around. And so we drove around, and um, the place was in, in a good, it was not in a good way, you know, just full of weeds, fairways were being cut in rectangles, turning on the greens on a fair with a fairway mower. Oh, and dude. it was just, a, I thought, Oh, wow, this is just, wow, this place really needs some love. I rang mum up, I still remember, I was on the first fairway, I rang mum, and uh, I said, oh, mum, I'm in Jamaica. She said, are you okay? <laughs> Where did you get there? You're supposed to be coming over. Who kidnapped you? And I said, no, 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 I'm all fine. I, I think I'm going to take a job here. And she said, well, and I explained how bad it was. And she said, well, give it five years. Ended up being there 10. So, oh, wow, 10 years. 10 years there. Uh, wow. At trial. And trial was... They used to call it the 50 club, or it was just like the 50 rich people. They stretched that out now to about 100, I think. Another uh, private resort um, course was built by Ralph Plummer back in 1956 at Texan and had a couple of holes right on the ocean. There's a great par three 
the fourth where it has the Caribbean Ocean in a bay and then the Flint River cuts through the cuts through the course but cuts through the hole. So not only do you have this bay vista right next to you and out there's a pier with an old cannon out there from um, colonial days. Um, you've got wow. this green, this other side of the bridge, um, and that was something else too. And, uh, yeah, cut a long story short, was there 10 years and um, met my wife, uh, started a family. And, um, good on you. That's yeah, awesome. That, That's that, good that memory took, then. Some very good memories. Some very good memories there. Um, I don't want to drop any names, but, uh, you know, we were good friends with Lennox Lewis. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just enough. Couple, they continue. <laughs> a, couple, a couple other people, but... Um, yeah, no, <laughs> they continue. Was, I'm yeah. just going to get a book out. Hang on, I'm just going to write some of these names down. I think I've, I think so far I've managed to fill a page in the notebook. Uh, yep, go on. <laughs> I'll stop <laughs> dropping names there, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassing myself. But um, I, uh, yeah, we had we had a good time there, and um, it was quite funny because a couple of the, one of the reps um, who we used to who I used to use and made good friends with, he was the number one, he still is, the number one Florentine distributor in the world, um, Tom right. Tremblay. Right. So I was very good friends with Tom and used to help out with some consulting work as well. And uh, in kind of long story short, my wife and I used to go down to Panama for, for holidays. And uh, one day we went down for a holiday and as we landed, Camille said to me, well, we're going to buy here. And I said, you're mad. You know, I've got a good <laughs> job. And she goes, well, no, I think it's time for a change. And... <laughs> I thought she was mad. Anyway, cut a long story short, we ended up buying a place there and we moved six months later. Wow. So, so resigned <laughs> resigned in Jamaica and then set up, um, was doing my own consultancy, but also set up Florentine in Panama in the start of Latin America. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Mm. That's interesting. So we've got another pin on the world map in Panama now. Yeah. And, and you've gone sort of out of maintaining a golf course now to setting up a, a business in, you know, supporting golf courses and how they look after themselves. Correct. Yes. And how did that, how did you find that as a bit of a step away? Was that reinvigorating, doing something a little bit different? I, I, I loved it. It didn't, I didn't really, don't, I missed it. Um, but I didn't really realise how much I had burnt out in Jamaica. Yeah, okay. And, and that's okay. and that's I didn't I didn't real I think Camille knew it. Probably everyone yep. else around me knew it. But until I'm, I'm a bit thick, but um, <laughs> I, it didn't I didn't really hit me until I you know, started meeting with other superintendents, and I thought I was just burnt out. And yep. um, and I really missed being a superintendent. I really did. And going into the workshop because. You're then just seen as, you know, not only a consultant, but a little bit of a salesman and, you know, what do you know sort of thing. And that took a little bit of um, getting used to. And then that kind of led me to, uh, I was consulting up in the in uh, the border of Panama and Costa Rica and on a golf course up there. And that was back to bent grass again at 3,000 feet. So that was bent tees, bent fairways, bent greens. And wow. we're nine degrees above the equator. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. Beautiful spot cool. up in Boquete in the mountains of Panama. Um, wow. So we moved up there for a month. And then one of my clients who was down uh, in the city um, at a golf course called Santa Maria, that was another private club, it was a Jack Nicholas design, um, would have been about four years old. And we'd actually gone down to Panama 
my wife and I, but also we'd gone down as, on a boys' trip with a couple of members from um, a golfing trip with a couple of members from from trial. And I remember you have to you, when you land in the airport and as you drive, you know, six lanes into the high into the Panama City, and that that was a that was a like driving into Miami. There's so many high rises, and Panama just blew me away of how developed it was. Um, so it's and, not like driving into Bundaberg on the Bruce Highway, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it is like driving into Miami times two. Wow! Really? Yeah, yeah high rises and um, and just a lot of a lot of wealth there, and you've got the canal there. So I I remember driving in, and there was a golf course, and I I just had a funny feeling, Steve. I just I just thought, you know, I'm going to work there one day, and thought to myself, you're mad, and then. That then a client ended up being there, Dan, and then I got he left, um, and he went back to Arizona to start his family, and he was with it was a Troon managed course, and Dan rang me up and it seems funny, but Dan rang me up and said, "Mate, you've got the job," and I said, "What job? <laughs> what are you talking about?" And he I said, love it. I love it. You've got my job, and I said, "Well, what are you doing?" And he told me what happened. He said, "All you have to do is fly down for an interview. It's a bit of deja vu here, right? Fly down for the interview, and it's yours." And uh, look, we didn't speak a lick of Spanish either, and so it was quite a daunting step for the whole family to go down and relocate and move down there from Jamaica. Anyway, so we'd been there over six months when this happened, and we went back to the city. And um, yeah, was superintendent there for three and a half years. Wow, what an and, uh, incredible! And that was all pa- platinum pass ballon world war. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's something we don't often hear about here in Australia. No. So a, a fantastic course there. Um, obviously a Nicholas design. We had seventeen and a half holes at the time when I was there, and um, I was lucky to build the other half of the uh, <laughs> of the ninth, which made it eighteen. And um, yeah, look. Fantastic experience there. Um, wow. You know, I, we, we lived we, where we bought. We, um, it was about an hour and 20 minutes away. So had about a two and a half, two hours, 40 minute drive each well, each day, an hour 20 oh, there, wow. an hour 20 back. So I'd get really? up at three o'clock in the morning and um, you know, fang it to work up this highway. Um, and I'm driving over the Panama Canal. So I'd be listening to all these podcasts <laughs> and stuff. And <laughs> You know, you call you you call a couple of mates and you're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just driving over the Panama Canal, you know. Like, yeah, sure. Sort of sure you are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. As you do, Mick. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, that that was that was really really good. And look, Panama was great. And I rang up a mate of mine who who uh, Nigel Taylor again. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mentioned earlier, and I rang up Nigel because you, know, you keep in contact with a lot of the boys. And I, yep. I just said to him, hey, look, mate, um, as a joke. Uh, is there any jobs going in Asia? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, and then he hung up. And I was like, that's a bit weird. And yeah. I got a phone call from uh, a good mate of mine, um, Brad Burgess with uh, Sports Turf Solutions. And um, anyone who knows Brad knows the way Brad talks, typical Australian, but just very slow and deliberate in his speech. And, and he just said, I oh, hear you're looking for a job. <laughs> and, uh, and Sounds I like said, something out of the Matrix. Yeah, and I, and I, and I just said, um, "Yeah, I've just yeah, entertained me." And he said, "Look, you know, this is what this is what I'm looking for." And um, yeah, and about five weeks later, six weeks later, we were in Vietnam. 
So, so this is all basically. This is through the tropics of the world, really, isn't it? I mean, you're going from the Windies to Panama, even though up to the mountains there up high, and then you've gone yep. across. Now you're in Vietnam, in Asia. Yep. That's you. I'm thinking about grass types, and in that type of you know humidity and heat, is that something that you became really accustomed to dealing with the grasses and maintaining turf in that sort of a region? Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, Barbados, we had TIFF, it was winter green throughout, uh, or 419, and TIFF dwarf greens. Uh, Jamaica was TIFF eagle and 419 cooch. Um, and Barbados, uh, yeah, sorry, and um, Panama platinum. That was difficult because that, well, that took me a good 12 months to really get my, wrap my head around that grass. You question yourself as a greenkeeper a lot with Paspalum because yep. what you know works doesn't always work with that particular grass. And if it's an overcast day, you know, I sprayed something and it should be looking green and it's looking yellow and you think, oh, no, someone sabotaged me or something happened and, you know, then the sun comes out and you're like, oh, no, all's good. It's just um, wow. a very finicky grass and I, I, but very rewarding grass as well. But you really do have to work at it. Um, interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Behaves Probably another podcast in that might be another podcast there. No. Yeah. <laughs> sure, no problem. So uh, you, so okay, we're over in 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 Asia, in Vietnam, and and what what was that one? Well, Vietnam was great, and you know the family at the time. Just we first got there, and it was just very tough for them because here they are. I've taken them away from Jamaica. I'm taking them away from from Panama. You know, the kids can fluent in Spanish, and then I remember my daughter saying. Uh, you know, I've taken my family with me all through my career, which has been great, yep. and they've been exposed to a lot of things. And um, and you know, my daughter looked at me and goes, "You expect me to speak Vietnamese now?" And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "No, not really. But if you want to try, then no, go for it." But um, yeah, look, Brad had we were over there with Brad's company, and Brad um, has two companies. Um, he Sports Turf Solution. He's got a lot, you know, Floratine again. Um, has a lot of other products as well. Uh, Sand Trapper, Shibura Machinery, Coyote Machinery. Um, and on his other side of his business was also, um, has Sustainable Turf Farms, where okay. uh, I first learned about Zeon Zoysia. And I've, I've worked kid on, on the block. Yeah, I've worked on all these other grasses, Steve, and, and, but Zoysia is something I'd never really worked on. There's a little bit of native stuff in the, in the Caribbean, but nothing really that I, um, I really wanted to get a grasp on this. And... So Brad had the turf farm there uh, in just outside of Hoi An, near Da Nang. And uh, at the time, there was a construction of Hoi An Shores. Uh, okay. And Hoi An Shores was the first, uh, it wasn't the first course, uh, I think it was maybe the first or second course in Vietnam with wall-to-wall Zeon or Sir Grange Zoysia and Tiff Eagle Greens. So my first six months in Vietnam was growing that course in along with uh, John Gibb. And John is a Queensland boy, did his apprenticeship at um, Century Cove as well. And he's been on the Asian circuit for a long time. And he went down to start another course with the company and grow that in, in Fantiet. And I was left um, there to look after the turf farm and also grow this course in and hand it over to Rob Weeks, uh, who's a Queensland greenkeeper as well. And Rob saw that through and um that's where i really started to cut my teeth and learn about how 
good and how versatile this grass is. And that was that was excellent. And that actually Hoyana Shaw's debuted uh, opening uh, number ninety six in the world. So really, yeah. So that was that was a privilege to to work on. I work on that. Um, when we handed that over, I went to back to the farm and was consulting and travelling up and down Vietnam uh, with all the expats um, and helping them out through um, through Brad's business, Sports Turf Solutions. And I, being at the farm, if I wasn't on the road, you know, Brad was awesome. You know, just do whatever you need to do to the grass, test it, try and kill it. Do some trials. Do whatever you want to <laughs> try, do. Try and kill it. That, try and kill that's it. That's something you get told every day. Yeah. So, and and at the time we were also harvesting grass there and and sending that to um, Singapore for Singapore Island Country Club. They were doing their rebuild over there with Chris Gray, and you know we were harvesting grass and just really pushing that grass to the limit of harvesting. But we had Zeon, which was Sir Grange, Trinity, Primo. Uh, Zoysias, and we also had Tiff Tuff and Tiff Eagle as well on the farm. So when I first got there, it was about two point, call it three hectares. When I left, it was about 16, 16 and a half hectares of, of grass. Wow. And that that's really, by the sounds of what you were doing there, was really testing what you could get out of the grass. You know, you're obviously working it to sell a product, but you're learning to be able to advise because guys are taking it and no one's got really much experience in it. So you're sort of saying you can do this and this is how you get the best out of it. This is how in these conditions yep. throughout the year, this is going to happen because you you need to have the knowledge to tell the guys who are paying, and I'm sure it wasn't cheap, a new grass, a new variety that it's going to be giving, you know, ultimately a product at the end, which as we know, a turf surface is, is a part of the architectural design. It gives an experience yep. and you've got to be able to make sure that those that are your clients are going to be able to deliver it after essentially you're long gone and it's got to, it's got to retain those qualities. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, Vietnam and <clears throat> all over the, you know, Brad has Asia pretty much sewn up. You know, different, a lot of different climates too, and a lot of different um, profiles, soil profiles. Um, and we were lucky enough, that the water quality, wherever you go in Vietnam, like everywhere really is is quite diverse. So if you go to the south, I mean, you've got pHs of water there, 2.5, 3, 3 pH. Wow. Um, and you can go up to where, you know, further north and you'll have pH of water up around 8 and 9. So we can't very, really fathom we can't really fathom that sort of stuff in Australia, can we? To be no, honest, no. And and even you know a lot of their water resources too were was very brackish. Um, so a lot of courses had gone with paspalum, but they weren't seeing the results that they really wanted um, from that. So and also too there was new clients and new golf courses getting built at the time, and there was a big boom before COVID of trying to get these golf courses down in a certain period before the Vietnamese government locked that off. Um, so right. they wanted, I think there's 60 golf courses. They were allowing uh, 100, 110. I uh, forget the real figure. But um, everyone was in a boom and a rush to get these golf courses and to get these licenses in before that time was up. Um, so we'd do, I'd do tests at 5,000 parts per million of salt water, uh, 10,000 and 17,000 parts per million. And we'd do that twice a day uh, in 40 degree in the height of summer. But we took it over a six-month period and we'd just give each plot, uh, and the plot was probably, you know, 
60 centimetres by 60 centimetres and we'd give it 5,000 each one, 5,000 twice a day, trying to simulate a hand watering or a deep water that you would do with a hose. Um, yep. And look, the results that the Zoysia had, uh, Steve, was just, I couldn't really believe it. It was just unbelievable. Uh, it actually made, where you put that against Cooch, Cooch would be lethargic, it would you know, go yellow, the leaf would be long and straggly. The Zoysia just really made it actually went greener. And we know that, that Cooch, you know, from experience in Green Key, we know that Cooch is in a high saltwater tolerant plant and not like, you know, you mentioned the Paspalums and, and in a different grass type, we don't often use a golf as buffalo that we know of. Yep. But Zoysia can tolerate. You, you mentioned you're pushing up around 17,000 parts per million like salt content. What What is seawater? What's salt water? 30, salt water is 36,000 parts per million. Okay, so you're halfway to seawater yep. and the Zoysia is quite tolerant of that ridiculously high number at 17,000 very very tolerant so that would that would simulate the different seasons whether it be dry or wet season in the in the tropics there uh, in vietnam and basically you know during that wet season they're fine but during the dry season they'd have to draw on this river water or wherever their water was coming from and that would be you know up towards about 12,000 so we took it a little bit extra to say look 17 um and to see what it would do and it handled it very well now in saying that you know you're still going to have to go and you know that salt that buys that bicarbonate that sodium still going to build up in your profile so yeah. you're really still going to have to flush that but you know your your, your plant though is trinity for example was mine salt out of the ground and actually takes it out and puts it out on the leaf whoa that's yeah. weird yeah so and that's a that's a variety. Trinity is is a grass that that can be used wall to wall as well. So that's and that is here in Australia, and um, so is Primo. But they're predominantly uh, greens grasses, um, right? Yeah, and, and and basically the Zeon or the Sir Grange is more that'll probably go down to a height of about look six mil, seven mil, anything lower than that. It sort of starts to. You know, it doesn't really appreciate that being cut that low, whereas your Primo's Trinity's more as a tea surface or a greens grass, loves it anything below, you know, six mil to two, two and a half mil. Yeah, wow. Okay, so we're getting right down and, and that's sort of, yeah, that's green, green height. My little, my little one's just turned up on the podcast. Hello, Savannah. She just, <laughs> she's just walked into joining the convo about, about Zoysia. I love it. She, she's a soon-to-be greenkeeper. Fantastic. You, you can feel it in her bones. Um, <laughs> mate, that, that's really interesting. We talk about – like I, I, you know, I know a couple of courses at Kalara in Sydney that was not so long ago rebuilt. Uh, they use Zoysia around their surrounds. They've used it on their tees. And I'm hearing about other courses – uh, throughout the east coast of Australia is seems to be the most predominant place where they're trialling it on tees or they're trialling it in different areas of the golf course to see what they can get at. And one of them is, and, and we won't, won't be too far away, we'll talk about it, is that you're doing that at Noosa yeah. and we're starting to see more places experience it. But one of the things you and I had spoken about before today, obviously, was that it it's something that, a bit like you talked about with Paspalum, it's, it goes against what we naturally learn as greenkeepers and have done with cooch varieties and all those sorts of things, doesn't it, in the way that you maintain it? It, it does. I mean, that's, and that's the misconception. And then the easiest way to put it, Steve, is with, with cooch, everything happens on top. 
of the grass. So, you know, we we establish we establish this grass uh, cooch on top, and it and it runs. All it wants to do is run on top, and that to any that's what we're just used to seeing. Um, yeah. And so, what people compare it with when you sprig a zoysia, and you everything starts, it does the reverse. Everything happens underneath. So it's it's building those rhizomes. It's building up a foundation, totally opposite to the way cooch is. And then when it does decide to pop its head, only a couple of weeks behind, but it then it starts to run. And when that starts to run, well, then boy, does it run. Um, but in establishing golf courses, you know, in the tropics, Asia, people want to see an instant green and how quickly can I get this thing covered? Um, and that's that's the thing where people have just stuck in their heads. The good thing, though, with the zoysia, it, it's, it's it, people say it's slow growing. No, it is on top, but it is working and it is doing yeah. it's, it's It is building a foundation. And like anything, you've got a strong foundation where you've got a pretty strong uh, anything that's above that. So the, the, the foundation that it builds, it, it's, it's basically that just, and it gets better and better and better with age. And yeah, I mean, even here at Noosa now where we've put it down, um, just over the time, it's you know it's starting to grow in and starting to you know really fill in, and um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's I think it's a definitely a grass of the future, and that's the and other thing too. It's a lot less. The thing about the zoysia is there's a couple of misconceptions, but it still needs to be fertilised. Um, it just doesn't t- require as much N or nitrogen, but it does still require fertilising. Still a living, breathing thing. And there's an experience in that. That's an experience in what you've got under your belt through Asia, through growing it on a farm, laying down new courses, you know, like I said, passing on advice to clients. You've sort of experienced a whole lot of that stuff from a different angle than most would have. And we know that Zoysia, the biggest uh, drawback, I think, in years gone by, certainly when I was doing my time as an apprentice and, and coming up through the ranks, was its speed of growth. You know, it, it, we knew that, because it was slower, it was it, it builds strength, it builds resilience. That's one of its key attributes. But its biggest drawback was how do you grow it in you know in different parts of Australia, and how does it how, how do you sort of get that um, presentation from it? We, it? we had to learn. Now we've got experiences from a lot of other parts of the world that it's happened on that yep. we really can draw on that. And someone like yourself who's been there and others, other Aussies, for example, you talked about all over the place, <laughs> all those sorts of things. Um, and now that information flow is now coming in, certainly to Australia, which is where I love to talk about, obviously. Yep. And and that and you are literally bringing that with you to Noosa. So, yep. but it probably leads me into, okay, did you go from, let's talk about your time getting to Noosa now, did you go from Vietnam to Noosa where you are today? I did. Um, I, I basically, I, I looked at my parents were getting older, um, and that was one of the reasons actually why we came closer to Vietnam. Um, truth be told, and so we thought, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we'd we'd look at um, being when we we're in Vietnam, being close, we could just fly back and see their family and go back. And then when COVID came, thought uh, we really need to be home, and the you know, whole world changed for everyone. Um, and then Noosa came up three good friends in three different parts of the world within two hours called me and said <laughs> there's there's a job at noosa golf club that's got your name written all over it they're doing a master plan 
Um, it's in Queensland. We know you want to get home. That's, you know, go for it. And um, I did. I, I, I applied and I didn't hear anything for a while. Um, Hang on. Did you actually have to apply? I don't mean to be rude to Noosa. Did you have to apply to this one unlike some of the others <laughs> from the other regions of the world? <laughs> yes. You know, no, I, was, I was very – this one was probably <laughs> the most formal in 20 years. Um, yeah, no, I, I applied and uh, was very lucky to, to get a um, – interview and via zoom and you know felt felt uh quite good about the interview and um still didn't you know with interviews you don't think you've got the job you know and you yeah didn't. and i knew other people that were on the on who were getting interviewed as well and i thought oh who am i you know i mean i'm, I'm no one sort of thing i'm not going to get this job <laughs> Mick Pascoe um, plays cricket with Desmond Hain. <laughs> so, yeah, just yeah, you know, just little old little old me, you know. Why should I get the job, sort of thing? And um, all of a sudden, yeah, um, my the GM uh, rang me up and um, said, uh, "Can you um, can when can you be in Australia?" And I said, "Oh, look, I can uh, I can be there in four weeks, five weeks." We had to get visas, and it was uh, now we can talk about it and laugh, but it was. You had at that time we had to apply. I had to apply to get back into my own country. Um, wow! So yeah. what year was this? Oh, this was this, this was two thousand twenty-one. Oh, so this was last year. This was in the midst of of COVID up and down yo-yo. Yes. When no one knew whether you could leave your house, get into another state, come home, go home, visit people, or wake up and have breakfast without facing north. You didn't yep. know what you could or couldn't do. You're trying to come back to Australia. Correct and. We had to apply for visas and, um, look, we'd applied for a year uh, for the family to get visas and I'd, I actually ended up bringing in a lawyer and she said, look, she took me down a, a dark web hole and she said, just press a complaint button here on the Australian uh, federal site and someone will, will answer you. And sure enough, in about four or five hours, I got an email back, what's your complaint? And I told them and... Um, Miraculously, all the visas and the grants got granted within about 12 hours, 24 hours. Wow. 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 That was, it was quite interesting with, um, we got back and, um, you know, we had to find a place. There was a, you know, at the time there was very hard to find a place in Noosa, Dewanton. And, um, you know, the GM, Al was just fantastic. The committee, awesome. And, you know, trying to find places for us to live and, yeah, we had to go into quarantine, and we were in quarantine for two weeks. And um, you look in that in that time of coming home and being in quarantine, I was in daily dialogue with the club um, just to get a, a, a footing and, and to know what was happening at the club. And and um, yeah, finally finally got here, got out of quarantine, and um, yeah, hit the road, hit the hit the ground running straight away. So you, you started off what month of, of last year? We're, we're now February 2022. So how long have you been there? Uh, I started mid-April last year. Okay. So not far away from 12 months on the ground at Noosa. Yep. Let's let's talk about Noosa briefly. We, we talked about, you mentioned there that there was a master plan the club was now working towards. It had a master plan done. It's done by Richard Chamberlain. Yep. Tell us a little bit about how long that, process is the club working through that over a number of years i know i talked about it just last week on my walking the fairway set news segment where you got this master plan the club's working through uh, is this something that they're talking a five-year plan to work through or, or how is that looking to unfold uh we're looking to do it uh over 
two holes a year. So we're looking at, you know, eight to nine years. Okay. Um, we, when I first got here, we built, they had the club already had a spare hole. Um, and we just had to do a little bit of refurbishment to that hole. And we built, um, off Richard's plan, we built a spare hole on our 14th, which is a par five. And we put a par three in there, which we could then build another tee and, and turn that par five into a par four. Um, yep. So we have that spare hole. So we're looking at, we did that August, September last year. We just completed our 12th hole and we're halfway through our fifth hole. They're both next to each other, um, two par threes. And we'll look to do two more holes uh, September this year. Mate, that's really exciting for the club. Noosa is an established club in that area. It's, we're not talking about Noosa Springs in case people are confused. There's a, a much younger resort course, a little bit closer to the to the, to the the beaches, if, as, as it were, to the east. You guys are sort of back on. Your northern boundary is on the Toronto National Park. You've got beautiful setting there. Um, you know, this is all a, a big upgrade for a, a, a well-established local golf club. Is it something that, you know, is there a big membership base there? This is a pretty big deal for Noosa. It, it is. It's, um, it's, we have, a, we have a lot of members. We have a 900 members. Is that um, all? <laughs> have a, have a waiting, have a waiting list out now. Um, wow. Um, yeah, really good, really good. And a really good, uh, diverse membership as well. But, um, Look, a, a well-supported membership. I mean, we do uh, – we have social golf on Fridays and Sundays and then after tournament or comp days, but we do eight, we do between seventy and 80,000 rounds a year. My Lord, that's astounding. It is. That is absolutely astonishing. And that that's coming back from somewhere in um, – look, Panama, we're doing 15,000. Jamaica, we're doing 15,000, and then all of a sudden, you know, you come to like 70, 75, 80,000, you're doing 250, 300 golfers a day, and you're like, you know, eight. I've gone from a cruise of 40, 50, 60 guys down to where you're, you're the only qualified person, by the way. Um, yeah, and coming, right. back, coming back home to, to you know, a couple, a couple of tradesmen. And look, we have a, we have a great little crew. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't swap them. They're, they're awesome. And, um, you know, that takes uh, – coming in, that takes a little bit of, you know, them getting used to you and a, and a different culture change. And, um, look, they've really accepted it really well. Um, and, look, the that's the big reason too is because of that number of rounds, Steve, that's why the, the club just said, look, you know, Noosa started off with nine holes, then they went to 12 holes after World War Two, uh, a little bit after – and then expanded out to 18 holes. So some of these holes are, you know, 60, 70, greens are 60, 70 years old. They're original greens. Um, yeah, wow. And so, and they're just small. I mean, we have uh, 7,500 square metres of green. Um, so under a hectare, we have half a hectare of tees and 10 hectares, wow. 10 hectares of fairway. And look, the amount of golf that gets pushed through, the club realised um, that we need to get with the times and we need to we need to upgrade that's uh mate that's a really big future that that a future path that noosa as a club have decided to walk down and by the sounds of things probably very timely for the club as well and we know on the back of covid in australia things that golf has had an enormous boost in uh participation and you talk about seventy-five thousand rounds. that's just got my head spinning yeah. um for a, a semi-private golf course uh you know 
Well, let's talk a little bit about that construction side and a changing of the golf course. Now, we touched on before your experience with Zoysia. Let's talk a little bit about, because I know that's you, would, you mentioned that's going down on yep. these new works. So what part of the golf course are we talking? Are we talking fairways only? Are we talking surrounds or tees? How, what surfaces are being incorporated now turf-wise into the new works that are being rebuilt? Well, presently we have three two eight greens. Um, and we have wintergreen um, tees and fairways. But we're looking, we have on our two spare holes now, we have Tiff Eagle for the greens grass, and we will be going Tiff Eagle on all new putting surfaces going forward. All tees and all surrounds, uh, aprons, approaches, whatever we want to call them, surrounds uh, will also be in Zoysia, Sir Grange, and the tee, obviously Sir Grange as well. So the fairways will remain uh, wintergreen. Okay, so we're going to have cooch fairways, but we're going to zoysia on those approaches into surrounds, into the green service. So what's that? Is that a was that a discussion from the club's perspective, your perspective with your experience? Was that a Richard Chamberlain sort of angle as well? There's a lot of parts that come in. We know when master plans are being done. Yep. Where did where did the grass types come in through to get that combination for the club moving forward? Um, Tiff Eagle um, was chosen by the club, and, and I, I 100% agree with that. Um, that was chosen before. I'd come here uh, and taken up the post. But, look, that's for me. I'd, I'd had plenty of experience in, in um, Jamaica with Tiff Eagle. I, I love it. Um, and that's and a I, very good, very well-performing grass on green surfaces. Now, we know that that's – I know at the Pines, Paul McLean has not long ago last year put down – they've redone all their greens on the Pines course and it's all now Tiff Eagle as well. So we know that that one is a good one. Where That's probably an established good one, and certainly in Australia as well. Yep, that's another that's, part of the world. Yep, so that, that was proven, so that was no problem. Um, I, I, I'll i take credit for the Zoysia. I, I knew the club wasn't um, – they had not the best history of Zoysia before in some trials, and I, I reassured them that I think this is the way to go and this is the grass that will put Noosa back on the map, but not only put us back on the map, but also sustainably um, it'll – assist our operation going forward better for our and a couple of reasons obviously sustainably less water less uh, pesticide better wearing we've got a lot of trees we're a bushland course so we have a lot of shade issues um, a lot of our teas are in shade constantly um, so we the zoysia handles the shade magnificently um, and, and also to our membership is is an i think our average age of our membership is around 65 so the ball sits up on top of that on top of that zoysia and with no or very little grain and can, and that allows us I'm mowing that at the moment at about 10 mil I'll probably get that down to about 8 mil um, I have the other approaches around the course at 7 mil and tees at 7 mil at the moment and they just with kooks they just get that bit of grain but with this zoysia um, on our spare hole at the members the feedback that I've got has been fantastic because, you know, they're happy as Larry because they can putt it. Uh, the older folk can putt it. You know, the, the, the A graders can get a nice pitching wedge or a wedge on it and, and zip it along. Um, they get it to stop. Everyone across all levels are really enjoying this grass. And yeah. aesthetically, it does keep a natural green and it does have a colour and it does stripe up. 
you can present it so well. And it, it presents like a cool season grass, but obviously it's a warm season. And, and it tolerates cold anyway. We, <laughs> and, and it tolerates cold too. Yeah. Even though at Noosa you don't need to deal with that, but it, it, can to, it tolerates the heat and humidity and that side of it where you are. It's really interesting that I know through being in Sydney and, and speaking with the likes of Harley Cruz, who, who was part of the redesign work that happened at Kalara, and I mentioned that before, they've done their approaches and their, their green surrounds in Zoysia. Um, was their choice and it, it moved away from the Kaikuyu fairways that they have on course to – which, which really softens the ball. It's very matty. It, it, it deadens the ball. They've got the, the the bounce and run happening now with their Zoysia approaches, which you've got Cooch Fairway, so it kind of has that anyway. Yeah. But you've got that in your apron. So you talked about no grain, how it sits proud, and you can still present the grass. It really is uh, this versatile, versatile grass, and I'm certainly thinking about your experience with Zoysia. Um, probably second to none, to be fair, without, without you know, skiding. <laughs> Thank you. Talking up. What, do you. what do you say? We're blowing smoke up your ass. I can say it's my podcast. Um, but, but, I mean, you've, you've certainly got that experience that um, I know I can sit back and say, look, I'm really interested to see how that presentation and that quality and experience is going to come out of that surface and um, look forward to hearing about it too. Cause now that we've yeah. got the connection, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you for photos, man. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll send them through to you. Um, look, I think the thing is we have, and you'll be quite surprised. I mean, we've got um, that, our 12th down uh, two weeks, just over two weeks. Like I started mowing it after one week when we, luckily we did turf it. Um, yeah. But, I mean, look, it's just an instant. And the thing was for the members, you know, and being a new grass, I wanted to show the versatility of the grass. So I had the tee on our spare hole. I had the tee there at uh, 8 mil, eight, between 8 and 10 mil. Then I left a, a beard of about 100 and 120 around it. So I'd really wow. had that rye grass look to it, a cool season look that you see over in the States. And, yep. um, and yeah, even then the ball doesn't bury down like it does in the cooch. But... Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to display to the members, look, this is how versatile this grass is and it doesn't matter what height it's at, it's still going to hold its colour and it's still going to hold its um, versatility and its density and uh, and they're just a pleasure to play off. And it has quite a strength to the leaf blade itself. Like That's part of when you say it sits, the ball sits proud on it no matter what the grass length is. It's not cooch, the longer it gets, the softer that leaf becomes in a sense. Yep. And you get that ball sitting down in the roughs and that sort of thing, whereas the density in the in the zoysia has a strong leaf. But it, the characteristics are really unusual getting away from the common uh, grasses that we know of. It, it really, this is a different beast and it has a different method, doesn't it? It, it really does. I mean, um, it's, it's quite interesting. I, 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 when I first started walking on it, you hear like a crunch. Of the grass, yep. and usually we associate crunch with it's dry, but quick, get some water on it. Um, yeah, but th that's just the way. That's just the grass. That's just the way it is. It's got a high silicon content in it, and that what really makes it um, versatile, and it probably gives it that rigid, rigid feel to it. Um, certainly, armyworm and, and not too many chewing insects like that grass. Um, yep. So that's, that's that's another benefit to it as well. Very interesting, mate. Now let's talk a little bit about Noosa. Well, we've got a little bit of time before you got to get back out there on course and do a bit of maintenance of Zavo. Yep. Let's talk about some of the do you have a favorite location on the golf course where when we come to visit, where where are we going to really get that feel of what Noosa Golf Club is like and Noosa Golf Course? Oh look, I'm gonna to have to say the par three seventh 
is probably a, a favourite little spot. Um, it's a short par three, um, surrounded by a small green, but surrounded by two bunkers. And I've inserted a grass bunker in between the two bunkers. And you hit, you're hitting over a little spillway that goes down into a creek and that runs into the National Park. Um, oh, no. And to the right of that, it, it's a billabong. Uh, it's a natural oh, waterway, wow. part of the riparian zone. And, you know, you've got everything there from goannas, snakes, all different types of birds. And for me, you know, when I was away for so long, for, you know, 22 years, you think of Australia and you think of golf courses and what you miss. And to me, that just summed up Australia and in that hole for me on a golf course. And, um, yeah, just uh, that, that I just resonate with that hole. It just it has got everything there that... When I was away, it keeps you through the good times and the bad times. You think back to home, and uh, that that hole does it for me. That sounds really impressive. But is that is that a bit of the theme to the course? I talked about how the boundary on the northern part of the course is on that with the national park. Is that is that the theme of the golf course really have that natural um, location throughout it uh, that gives you that feel, an extension of that hole? It absolutely does, mate. Um, I said bushland course, tree lined. Um, just with beautiful, majestic gums all the way through. Um, you're going up the third and down to the 14th to all the right is all, um, you know, just national park and forest, very dense. Uh, we have a stack of kangaroos. We have a resident fox. Um, uh, what else have we got? Plenty of plenty of uh, bird life and, um, and wildlife, koalas. Wow. And, and, yeah, it's just such a such a beautiful spot it's just a classic australian bush course and just with these majestic gums down the down the fairways and look we're only six kilometers from hastings street so yeah, right. you know you, Not- you've got you've got that such you know you've got that coast and then all of a sudden you know you're driving back into Toronto, and then you have this this area and this golf course and you know we're quite lucky we only have two golf two houses on the golf course or three actually wow uh, and the rest is just surrounded either by a main road, which is quite bushy, and um, yeah, so it's it's a very very unique, very unique golf course. And the bones of it, Steve, is um, look, it's just got some great character. And we talked about Arundel Hills before, but this on sixty hectares, this really has a great um, great bones to the course. Something that you can play every day and not and not get tired of at all. Mate, it uh, it really sounds it just it sounds so attractive just in words. I mean, the, to get there and see it, and I hope one day uh, soon, you know, I'd love to get the chance to come up there and see how all the new works are unfolding and the new grasses, and see what you've got there, you know, to build on and to bring out the the best of of Noosa uh, as it moves forward. It just really sounds something that would really be really interesting and enjoyable to experience and be enveloped by really is, is sort of that picture that you've painted. And I, I certainly think as a, as a visiting golf, I think people are going to get out there to a place and I'd urge people, if you're up in the Northern reaches of the sunshine coast to go and visit Noosa, don't discount it from one of the resort courses or anything else that's nearby, put it on your list because it's really something that you're going to see move forward as as um, you, Mick, you're part of you know, building this club up and, and rebuilding this golf course under this new design. It sounds absolutely sensational. Yeah, it's, it's something that I'm, um, I'm, I'm very humbled by and, and very, you know, very privileged. Of, all of it can't be done um, 
you know, without the backing of a of a of a great membership and a, an even better committee and um, general manager, without that having a good team, you know, none of this could be possible. Um, and that's one thing with you know, as a club, very very lucky to have that. And um, yeah, just absolutely honoured and privileged to be here at Noosa. Mate, it's uh, it sounds incredible, and and really, obviously, having your team involved, like you talked about there earlier on, having the team, and and there's a, a different sort of a direction for the club as a whole, and having you a, a, to lead that team, and I think there's going to be so much for the for the greenkeeping team to look forward to to be part of. I think there's going to be so much for the club as a whole and the membership to be proud of ultimately, and and you guys as well. And I think uh, it bodes well for the course in the very near future in the next. You know, like you said, sort of seven, eight years as you move through the master plan and uh, and really bring out the best that Noosa has to offer. So, mate, look, on that incredibly high note, Mick, I'm going to say <laughs> thank you so much for the stories, for the, the dive into your history, for oh, your career and, and, and what Noosa is looking forward to. It's been quite a ride and I've had quite a world journey today. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate. thank you. Thank you very much, Steve, for uh, well, <laughs> listening to my long-winded story. But uh, no. Yeah, no, no, thank you, thank you. I um, I'm very humbled and and appreciate your time and um and um, yeah, being able to tell my story. No, mate, not at all. It's really great to be able to pass on, you know, the the people behind the, that are delivering courses for the membership and for visitors, and certainly a, a, a lovely advertisement is your story. Apart from along with everyone else that I, I've spoken to on the podcast to talk about how a greenkeeping career can take you around the world quite literally and experience so much. And it's been wonderful to listen to your story, mate. Great insight to to what Noosa is doing with the new turf varieties and a master plan. Uh, really excited by it and and I'm sure the club is and, and your team are as well so mate thank you very much for being on the podcast it's been a wonderful ride and a wonderful journey and I look forward to catching up with you soon mate and hearing more about how Noosa is moving forward thanks very much Steve appreciate it OMG what a story that was. Mick Pascoe, that is just a sensational story. What a way to travel the world. What experience he's got behind him and how good is Noosa going to be in a number of years once they get through that master plan by Richard Chamberlain and having Mick Pascoe at the helm to to drive the club through that new work. I reckon if you haven't been to, to Noosa before, and I know I haven't, it's one that's on my list to play, and certainly in the coming years, it's only going to get better, and those new surfaces look fantastic. What an incredible story. Mick has just got a wealth of experience in some incredible parts of the world, and hasn't he got some great stories? Unreal. I had a whale of a time, and I hope you did too listening to it. It was just a great conversation, and I really learned a lot. And like I said, and as long along the way, I hope you did too. So look, thank you very much to Mick, and thank you very much to you guys for tuning in once again to listen to Australian Turf Analysis Keeper of the Greens. I appreciate you taking the time to come and listen along for the journey for yet another story of another superintendent and also listening into the, uh, the the golf course there at Noosa as well. So great stuff to have. Now, please like, share, subscribe, as I do always say, and also leave a review. I really would appreciate you leaving a, leaving a review for me uh, about the podcast to give it a, a bit further reach as well. And 
And don't be scared to send me a message or DM. Happy to chat, happy to talk. And uh, keep an eye out on Walking the Fairways because I will be posting some more info as Mick and Noosa improve their golf course and get some of those zoysia, that zoysia grass around on their golf course down and grown in. So really good stuff there, guys. But thank you once again for listening. As always, you hit them clean. We'll keep them green. And I look forward to catching up with you next week. Have yourselves a wonderful day. Oh, 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 oh,